That's a Texas amen, brother. <laughs> nice change of pace. Uh, some of those old songs, and if you're tapping your foot periodically, I think Jesus will forgive you. <laughs> My mom used to make hash. You ever eat hash? Corned beef hash? And, and sometimes she would let me help her. And, and to make hash, we would put all kinds of stuff into this meat grinder. You ever do one of those? You turn the crank and... You, I see somebody out there going like, yeah, you look at him right there. You thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And you put meat in, you put vegetables, different stuff, and you crank that crank. And then coming out the other was this, it was hash. All this different stuff. And as I was reading this passage in James chapter one, I thought, you know, God's making hash. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that God is putting those difficulties into life's meat grinder. Because sometimes life feels like a meat grinder, doesn't it? And, and, and James said, with this life's pressure can be manageable if you understand what's going on. And James took this enormous complexity called life. And being a wisdom teacher, being a good Jewish wisdom teacher, he got it to the place where we could understand it by forcing us to think about it, to think about it. And he said, you know, this stuff comes into your life, and, and, and it can be huge, scary. I call them cataclysmic events, life-changing events that test our faith. Is there really a God? If so, why is this happening to me or to my loved ones? Trials we saw a couple of weeks ago can also be very minor things. Anything that forces me to make a choice. How am I going to respond to that? And far more important than the event that comes into our life is how we respond to it. And James says the first thing you've got to figure out is your attitude. Before you make any choice, count it all joy. Say, okay, what is God doing in my meat grinder right now to make me a better person? James says, if you respond by faith, if you respond by saying, I believe there is God, I don't understand this. This is beyond my comprehension, but God understands it. God knows what he's doing. And James says this event that's come into your life that has put pressure on your faith, on your belief in God, and or on your faith system that says, I am a Christian. I live by this ethic. And this event is challenging my desire to live by this ethic. I want to spread that gossip. I want to tell that lie. My hormones are telling me to follow that train of thought because it feels good. Even though my faith, my faith system, the pattern of life outlined in this book tells me I shouldn't do that. James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that these things test your faith. And let faith have its perfect result. Follow through. Follow through. Those sidetracks, those, those thoughts, those ideas, those fears. 
that keep wanting to put what James says, put the follow through. Hupamane, those whose faith endures, stands the test, will become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And that is what God wants for you, my dear friends, and for me. And we can't get there without toughening up, building up our faith, our belief in God and our commitment to this faith system. God is helping us, forcing us sometimes to grow by putting us on our knees and saying, oh God, I'm confused, I'm afraid, I'm frustrated, I'm anxious, I'm disappointed, I'm hurting, I'm lonely. And I wonder where you are. And I will stay here till I find you. And James says, and once you've found him, once you've wrestled through that, this faith is confirmed. Oh, God, thank you that you're there. You didn't give me what I want, but I understand now that what I wanted would have destroyed me, and you love me enough to not give me what I ask you for at times. Because under the pressure of a trial, sometimes I do really stupid things. And I ask for stuff that you say, really? <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that to you. And I know you're going to be disappointed in me. And I know you're going to be angry with me because I don't do what you ask. And you're not even going to wonder if I love you. But that's part of the process, this meat grinder of life. But making these choices, right choices, are absolutely essential. And if you're like me, I live with a 50-50-90 rule. I've shared that before, the 50-50-90 rule. If there's a 50-50 chance between me doing it right or wrong, there's a 90% chance I'll do it wrong. <laughs> so James says, slow life down because these trials that God has brought into your life for your good you can distort let no one say when he is being tested by God that I am being tempted by God for God does not tempt anyone but each one is tempted when drawn away by his own lust and enticed so instead of saying I'm going to follow the faith system I'm going to follow my hormones instead of doing what my mind if I've been in this book if I understand God's faith system, instead of following that, I'm going to abandon that and do this. And James says, uh, temptation leads ultimately to death. So he says, you got the choice. 1 through 12, blessed is the person who perseveres under trial because when she has been approved, she will receive a crowning quality of life. Those who follow their passions and their sins, and instead of letting the, the, their, their mind rule, they let their hormones rule. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin it is finished, it brings forth death. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. But the question is, how do I make the right choice? Well, first, understanding that our choices do determine our whole quality of life. Those seemingly insignificant and those huge decisions that we make hundreds of times every day paint the portrait of our life. As Randy Ridland's art shows us, Randy Ridland's a friend of mine, I talked about him last week. 
that picture, he didn't paint with a brush. He painted with individual dots like the pixels on your computer screen. That picture is made up of millions of individual dots, just like your life and mine is painted every day with whether I tell the truth, whether I respond with love and encouragement, whether I control my temper or not. And James says, because your life is made up of hundreds of these little things, you must pay attention to these little things. Our choices determine our ability to fulfill God's purpose for our life. Not only do our decisions paint the portrait and determine, and I use that word carefully, determine is a strong, powerful word. I don't use it lightly. They determine the shape and the quality of our life. And they also determine our ability to fulfill God's purpose for our life. In James, uh, verses 16 through 18, James says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be, you know, these things that come into your life, they're easy to deceive you. Say, God doesn't like me. God is angry with me. God is hurting me. No, don't let those passions deceive you. Do not be deceived. By the way, an imperative. Throughout this thing, James is saying, I'm not making nice suggestions. <laughs> As God's spokesperson, as God's author, all scripture is inspired by God. I am telling you, on God's behalf, these are the things that make a difference in your life. Do not be deceived. I am commanding you, my beloved brethren and sisters. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He won't be nice to you today and evil to you tomorrow. He is con uh, consistently consistent. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth into his family. He invited us into fellowship with him. He brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel, which you heard and believed and accepted. And asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And at that moment, you entered into God's family. You entered into this whole Christian ethic. You became one of these strange people called Christians. Yeah, yeah. He brought us forth by the way. And here, so that. Look at the so that's in your Bible. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. I've talked about first fruits here before. There are themes that are so frequent in the Bible that if you're going to preach the scriptures, you've got to be repetitive sometimes. First fruits. Some of you talk, we talked about tomatoes a few, last year, I think. First fruits. Yeah, first fruits was a, a command that God gave back in Deuteronomy. Said to the people of Israel, you're going to plant your garden in the spring, and then you're going to wait for it in early, late summer, early fall. You're going to get some tomatoes. You're going to get some corn peas. And you're going to want to eat that beautiful tomato. You waited all summer for it. And you pick that tomato and you say, oh man. But instead of eating it, you bring it down to the temple. And you put it on the altar. And you say, Lord, this tomato that I really want, I want to give back to you. For two reasons. Because I love you. And the second reason is because this is my demonstration of faith 
that you're going to produce hundreds of these tomatoes. I'm going to try to give them to my neighbors, but they're growing tomatoes too. And what this tomato is demonstrating to me when I think of first fruits is that this shows me what you are capable of doing. I put a little seed in the ground and look what you did with it. And I don't understand how you did it, but you did it. And I hold this thing up and I show it to my neighbors. Look what God did. Well, what James is doing is taking that imagery and saying, God planted a little seed in your life called the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, if you're living by faith, living by the faith system, is turning you into a beautiful tomato. And God wants to say to your neighbors, and to your children, and your grandchildren, and to your parents and your friends, Look what I did with this person. Look what I'm capable of doing. And he says, you, you bring your tomatoes to me. I'm taking you, my tomato, and presenting them the first fruits among his creation. So, you know, there are, I don't know how many people are in Palm Desert. I probably should look that up. But right here, when we're at the grocery store, when we're on the golf course, we're at the Kiwanis Club, we're wherever we are, in the restaurant, talking to the wait person, all that stuff. God says, I want them to know what I can do in a human life. They're probably not going to come to your church. That's why I'm sending you out into the community. And, and as people see your life, and people rub up against you, and people see how you respond to them, even when they don't respond nicely to you, but there's something about you that the Holy Spirit is doing, creating you into this first fruits. And God says, the loudest sermon I preach is your life. And that's why it's so important that you count it all joy when you encounter the hundreds of pressures that come into your life every day that you respond to them the way I've taught you to respond to them. Because I want you to demonstrate to the desperately hurting, lonely, devastated, confused people out there who don't follow my word. I want them to see what I can do. And you're exhibit A. You're exhibit A. You are a kind of first fruits. So making the right choice matters for two essential reasons. How you respond to life's realities as they come into your meat grinder and you're turning the crank of your life. What comes out the other end, whether it's good hash or garbage, depends on what you do as you turn that crank. Trials produce life. Temptations result in death. As we said last week, is it a trial or temptation? It's neither until you decide how you respond to that particular situation in your life, time after time after time. We're all going to fail. That's why he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He knows that. 
But as James says, I want to increase the probability over time. And that's these, these next verses. Talk about how he wants to increase the probability that we are going to do it right. And we increase the probability we'll make the right choices, first of all, by developing the habit of remembering who we are. Who are you? You're a child of God. You are a man or a woman or a child under God's commission to be his first fruits. That's who you are. You've been lifted out of the mass of humanity, and God says, I am presenting you to the world to show them my love and my grace and my power. And that's why verse 19, there are various translations of this, but verse 19 says, know this. Know this, my beloved brethren. Imperative. No question. Know this. However, this is a preposition whose antecedent we're not sure of. Know what? And some say, well, know that you are God's first fruit. It looks backward. Others say, no, it's looking forward. Know this. That everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Know this, that we must be doers of God's word and not just hearers. Well, I I see this as as a, a Janus passage. Janus is the Greek god of looking forward and backward at the same time. Eyes in front, if you see that Greek God, eyes in front and eyes in back. The reason I say she is my mother. (laughs) And my primary school teachers all were women. And they were (laughs) looking at the chalkboard and said, Buzzle, shut up and sit down. If you're going to be in my class, you need to be like the Gazarene demoniac after Jesus healed him. Seated, clothed, and in your right mind. (laughs) And so this passage is looking back. Know this. Know who you are. Never forget who you are. But then looking forward, know this, my beloved brethren. Everyone, and another imperative, must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And God desires righteousness in your life and mine for two reasons. Because a righteous life is so much easier to live than a life of guilt and a life of fear and a life of anxiety that somebody's going to find out. A life that's destructive, a life that others don't want to be around because it hurts them. Instead of a life of righteousness, where people say, I like it when you show up. I like how honest you are. I like how kind you are. I like it because I see the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 just oozing out of your life. But the second reason that God wants to produce righteousness that He desires is because we are His first fruits. God has a plan for you. And that plan is, as one of his children, as a Christian, that you are a model of his love and power. Verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, and another imperative, receive God's word 
implanted, which is able to save your souls. Receive it. But be in the process of becoming. And James used a very particular verb there that means it's not an action moment word. It's a process word. Be in the process of becoming doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and by the time he gets where he's going, he forgot that his nose was on upside down. He just forgets, you know. A man who looks in the mirror and walks away, just, yeah, okay, so my hair's a mess. Doesn't bother me. I hear the word and not a doer. It's like a man who looks in a mirror. Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And if you're listening to this sermon this morning, and you make no decision about acting on it, James just described you. James says, we don't grow just by hearing. We grow by doing. Just like I don't develop biceps by going down to the gym and looking at the weights. <laughs> Got to pick them up and do it. But in contrast, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law that gives liberty, the law that frees us up to live this beautiful life, and abides by it. And another process word, not having become a forgetful hearer, but having become a doer of the deeds, this person will be blessed in what she does. The key to making the right choices that create a beautiful life and allow you to be God's first fruit that is so compelling that people want to know what makes you tick is to live by God's word. If I could reduce all this, I would say the first question a Christian should ask when confronted by a trial, big or small, is what would God have me do? You remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Good, 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 good advice. But Jesus did a lot of stuff I can't do. So I ask, not what would Jesus, yeah, I ask that, but then I ask, what did Jesus teach me to do in his word? And James says, first of all, you got to know it. Secondly, you got to do it, right? First of all, you got to know it. Second, you got to do it. With me. First of all, you got to know it. Second, you got to do it. Now you sing for Tom, you got to sing for me. All right? First of all, you got to know it. Second, Amen. Amen.